Hey, I'm Stephen Billings, and thanks for checking out this message today. We're so glad you're here and would love to connect with you. You can text 97000 with the words River Connect to share any prayer requests or just to say hello. It would be so great to hear from you. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can give by texting the amount that you would like to give to 84321. You can also head to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the page as well. Thanks again for joining us, and I hope you have a blessed day. Well, today we continue our series in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, we are, we've done this for about three years now. Uh, we spend the fall season looking at different parts of the Sermon on the Mount. Two years ago, we looked at the Beatitudes. Last year, we looked at the rest of chapter five, and this year, we're looking at chapter six. So I've got a question I want to start with you, start, for, start, start for you this morning. Um, have you ever thought about what it would like, be like to win the lottery? Anybody? I mean, I have. You hear these like, I have to admit, when I heard the like, what was the biggest one recently? Like 1.2 billion or something like that? I'm like, okay, it's a huge, like, not going to happen, but I got to spend a dollar. It's like, I, so you're saying there's a chance, right? So, I mean, every, every once in a while, maybe. But, man, you think about winning the lottery, and you think, man, all my bills would be paid, and I could get some cool stuff. How many of you want, like, a supercar? You know, a lot of us probably would be buying a supercar. I wouldn't have to have Lego supercars. I could have an actual one. Um, I could pay for my daughter's school, both of them, and then some, a lot some. I could help others. We could donate a ton to the church. Man, it sounds great. But... I came across some stories. First one's about a man named Jack Whitaker. He was already a millionaire when he won a $315 million lottery in West Virginia in 2002. He was 55 years old at the time, and he was a construction company president. But then he claimed he went broke about four years later, lost a daughter and a granddaughter to drug overdoses, which he blamed on the curse of the Powerball win. He was quoted to say, my granddaughter is dead because of the money, he told ABC News. You know, my wife had said she wished that she had torn the ticket up. Well, I wish that we had torn the ticket up too. Whitaker was also robbed of $545,000 sitting in his car while he was at a, at, at a bar eight months after winning the lottery. He was actually quoted to say, I don't like Jack Whitaker. I don't like the hard heart I've got. I don't like what I've become. Then this woman named Sandra Hayes, she won the Missouri lottery in in 2006 and split a $224 million Powerball with a dozen coworkers. This woman is now a retired social worker and wrote the book, How Winning the Lottery Changed My Life. She told the AP that she had to adapt to this new life, which changed how she saw her closest family and friends. I had to endure the the greed and the need that people have trying to get you to release your money to them, she said in 2012. That caused a lot of emotional pain. These are people you, who you've loved deep down, and they're turning into vampires trying to suck the life out of me. And then finally, a woman by the name of Donna Micken, I think is her name. She won $34.5 million in the New York State Lottery in 2007. She said the big win ruined her life and led to emotional bankruptcy. Most of us think that winning the lottery is ultimate fulfillment, but I found that wasn't the case, she wrote in a blog post in 2014. Most people look at winning the lottery as some magic pot of gold waiting for you at the end of the rainbow. The Long Island woman said she considered herself a happy person before the win. When we won the lottery, my inner dialogue was manic. I became more concerned about how I was being judged and perceived, not realizing I was the one doing the judging in the first place. If you ask me, my life was hijacked by the lottery. 
So maybe riches isn't all it's claimed out to be, huh? You know, as I sat and I, and I pondered this message, um, I kind of took stock of my blessings and what God had provided for me. I think about it, more than 1 billion people in our world live on less than $1 per day. About 3 billion on $2 per day. Between 11%, actually 11% of Americans live below the poverty line. 37 million people. That's $27,740 for a family of four and $13,788 for an individual. That's the 2022 census. And as I thought about it, I was preparing the message and I'm thinking, man, I was sitting in a nice warm office with all the creature comforts I could desire, great lighting, nice equipment, all the water I could ever need. If I wanted a coffee, I could make one in my office. I have a fridge with Coke Zero in it. I have the ability to purchase lunch should I desire. Thousands of books at my disposal because of the computer I have and the programs that I've purchased over the years. I have more books on the shelf than I've read. If it was warm outside, I can turn on the air conditioner and I would be perfectly comfortable in my office. And the same is true in my house. I have not only what I need, but a lot of what I want. I have a family that loves me and that I love. They're safe. My daughters are educated and being educated in safe, loving environments. And many of us here can count these same blessings. Some more, some less, in how we might define them. However, in a large majority, if not every single one of us here today, has at least our needs met and some of our wants. Every single one of us. We are simply blessed. Far be it from us to think, though, that our blessing is any more than people that live on two or one dollar a day. Because they are blessed too. We can focus so much on money. And today, this is where Jesus steps in. We've heard him speak about what, we're good, what, what, what we should look like in the Beatitudes, what a Christian looks like in, in chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, he's spoken about how we're, we're to be the salt of the earth, how anger doesn't help us, to stay away from lust, that divorce is serious. Keep your oaths. Don't retaliate. Love your enemies. Give to those that need it. How to pray and how to fast. We've talked about that. Jesus has talked about that over these last chapters, this chapter and a half. But he now reminds us again of what it looks like to really live for the kingdom of God. So let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, if you have your devices, that's great. If you don't have a Bible with you or a Bible app on your phone, you can download the River Church app, and that has the Bible in it as well. If you just search for us, the River Church, a turquoise logo comes up, and you can just download that. And once that's downloaded, you can, you can look in the Bible there. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start with verses 19 to 21, and it says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, whether neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so Jesus, right off the bat this morning, asks us the question, where is your treasure? It's a big question. But I think the first thing we have to do is, what is a treasure? I mean, are we all pirates searching for a buried treasure? Or, you know, I mean, is, is, is that what we're doing? Are, are, are we searching for this? I don't know how many of us are wearing an eye patch this morning, but, you know. But the reality is, is we have to define what a treasure is. Jesus isn't just talking about stuff that we have to live. He also isn't saying here that we can't own things. 
So what is Jesus referring to here? What is a treasure? Well, a treasure is anything that you count as important. Something you can't live without. Something that brings you joy. Something that you desire because you treasure it. Right? What you treasure, get this, you hope in. What you treasure, you hope in. If, anybody, if we have any Lord of the Rings fans out there, Gollum, my precious. He treasured that ring and it became all he lived for. And it changed him. I wonder where Tolkien might have gotten that from. I bet he got it at least in part to what Jesus said right here. See, it's not that you can't have treasure, treasures. It's what your treasures are focused on. That's what we have to be careful about. So where should we not lay up our treasures according to Jesus? Well, he says, on this earth. And this is something that's so absolutely relevant to his hearers that heard this message originally. And also so absolutely relevant, relevant, relevant to us today. Jesus was talking about the treasures of the world, the stuff we amass and seek to obtain here on the earth. See, in Jesus' day, clothing was a big deal. In fact, it was considered part of one's own wealth in the Middle East. If you were dressed well, people knew you were rich. They had the Tommy Hilfiger of the sand. I'm not sure what, what, what it would be. You know, the, the, the Gucci of the camels. You know, whatever that looks like. That's what they had. All right? And, it, and they had on, I, I'm going to say it, it sounds weird because I'm 45, but they had on the drip, right? They, they were ready to, they wore the stuff, man. And if you wore it, you knew, people knew you were rich and they treated you differently. The food supply. Food is and was necessary for sustaining life. However, in Rome, there was so much opulence. In the Roman Empire, there was so much opulence that people had so much more than they needed. I'm sure Jesus had in mind all of the parties that, that, that he had seen and heard of all around Israel at the time. It was also gems or medals or money. There were no safes, so people had to keep what they owned in their homes. There were heated water baths all over Israel. And they were bastions of wealth that the people owned. Rome knew that people needed to be clean. They were actually pretty industrialized for that day. And there is Roman, there, 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 there's uh, ruins of water baths all over Israel. We went to a city called Bet Shein, 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 something like that, in, uh, in northern Israel. And there is a beautiful bathhouse there for the rich people. And there's a not so beautiful one for the common folk. But it's amazing what they constructed in all of this wealth. Now, in our day, clothing. We've got to have the right clothes. We've got to shop at the right places. We have to own the right devices. Right? We've all got to own Apple stuff, right? No. That's <laughs> how so all you Android, the Android people always make themselves known. They go, no! <laughs> they're, so, they're so passionate. Kind of like state fans. All right. Um, but uh, <laughs> anyway, anyway. I got to give it back sometimes. You guys have no idea how much I take when I don't say anything. Um, but 
the reality is, is we've got to have our stuff, right? We've got to have the brand names. I mean, we thought going to a school that had, uh, um, had uniforms would help, and it helped some, but then they got to buy shoes. They got to get the right kind of shoes and, and all that kind of stuff. We, we look after that stuff. We have to keep up with the people around us. Somebody gets something, we got to get it. Our food supply. Man, we got to eat at the right restaurants. You know? We spend a ton of money on, on food and, 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 and entertainment. And then our money. But it's not just the money that we go after. It's what we do with that money, too. I mean, yes, of course, it's our savings, our stocks, the retirement that we may have, uh, the career we have. But how many of us own a home that takes up so much of your time because it has to look a certain way? And -and so-and-so got, you know, that blow-up thing in their Christmas decoration, so now I got to make it bigger so it can be seen from from the space? You know, I don't know. Here's a tough one. How about building a retirement so that you can retire and live your life the way you want to for you? But that's kind of what we're all taught to do, right? I'm going to work until I'm 60, 65. I'm thinking it's probably going to take me till 72. But the reality is, is we're going to work. And then when we're done, oh, it's all about me now. I'm traveling the world. I'm doing what I want to do. I've earned it. What's your treasure? Be careful. What's your treasure? That has to be our question this morning. What do we treasure? What are other things that we treasure? Well, there's relationships. What is really first? Is your family above everything? Is that what you treasure no matter what? Are your kids before your marriage? Is your marriage before Jesus? It doesn't matter what your neighbors or your community need. It's all about you and your little group of people. How about our hobbies? How much time are we spending? How much time and money and effort are we spending on our hobbies? The things we like to do. How many of us are working for the weekend so that we can be gone all the time doing whatever you want to do? The entertainment, I already mentioned it briefly, but the entertainment we spend money on. Yes, our sports teams. How much do we spend time? How much do we treasure those? Can you love an Ohio State fan? (laughs) How about the causes that we take up? And we take up all kinds of causes in this world. Some are good, but do we treasure that? Does it even relate to who Jesus is? What do we treasure? I love this quote by Kent Hughes. If anything in this world is everything to you, it's an earthly treasure. If anything in this world is everything to you, it's an earthly treasure. And Jesus says we shouldn't be building up treasures here on this earth. Because what happens to these treasures? Moth and rust destroy them. Interesting, why did he say moths? Well, he's going directly to what we just talked about as far as clothing, right? What destroys cloth? Moths. Especially in Jesus' day. We may not have that as much. Most of us in this room don't even know what a mothball is. 
But the reality is, is in Jesus' day, moths would just tear up clothing all the time. So it tore up their wealth. Rust, rust eats away all the things that are metal. It wastes away. We really know this in Michigan, don't we? That's one of the biggest things that would have changed for me moving from the West Coast. Like, what is this stuff that's making my paint bubble on my car? We did not have that in California. Or most of the West Coast, because they use sand out on the West Coast. We don't use salt, for the most part. We also don't have it as cold as often to need to melt the ice. That's why they don't use salt. I had no idea what rust could do to a car. I owned a 2000, no, a 99 Ford Ranger. I'm telling you, I owned that thing for about 10 years and it turned into Mater. Things were falling off of that thing completely. We even named it Mater. Sold it to a really excited, like 16 year old kid for like 400 bucks. He was excited to have a truck. So, um, but man, and those of you that have, have nicer cars, what do you do with them during the winter? You put them away and you don't drive them because you want to preserve them, right? So rust. Then he says, well, thieves are going to break in and steal too. And thievery was a huge problem, mainly because all that's had to happen for somebody to steal your stuff in Jesus' day was to put their fist through your wall, grab it, and pull it out. Because there wasn't, like I said, no safes. You were hiding things under rugs and different things. And for us, I bet many of us have had things stolen from us. I took a group of students here to Liberty University in 2005. We drove down and um, to this day, I don't think I've eaten in a Cracker Barrel since. We went to Cracker Barrel in Charleston, uh, West Virginia, and we parked the church van out in the back of the parking lot a little bit, took the students in, had dinner, came out, passenger side window was smashed, and a bunch of our bags were stolen. I lost a laptop, my sweet Oakleys that I owned. It was like, so I spent a ton of money on them. But my iPod, yeah, it was back in the day when you had the actual iPods. My iPod was sitting on the dashboard and they didn't take that. So I was happy about that. That would have really been bad. But I mean, students lost textbooks. There was all kinds of stuff. We had to put plexiglass in the, and, and then the whole time we're, we're driving back 12 hours from, from Lynchburg, Virginia with wind just going. <laughs> Kylie, Kylie, our, our, our uh, college, our so- college sophomore, she was about 10 months old, you know, screaming, had a kid. Anyway, it was a great trip, but <laughs> starting out getting stuff stolen, man, that's tough. It's scary. You feel violated. So Jesus says, don't lay up your treasures on this earth. What do we do? We lay up treasures in heaven. Because treasure in heaven is eternal. What is treasure in heaven? Well, it's the things we do as men and women of God. It's the time we spend with people. The time we spend serving others. The way we love those around us. The way we love God and we love people, being available to tell others about the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. First Timothy 6, 17 and 19 says this, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. 
thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Remember what I said at the beginning of uh, of the message that a billion people live on how much a day? A dollar. And then three billion live on how much a day? Is there anybody in America that's actually in poverty compared to half of the world? Now, I don't want to downplay financial troubles because the reality is in America, there is a certain level that you have to have because of our culture, right? But in reality, people live on much less too. Sometimes we need perspective. I know I do. Man, I know I do. And we are called not to be haughty, not to set our hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. And yet in America, how many of us place, and in the church in America, how many of us place our hope in our riches, in our IRA, in our 401k, in our retirement account, and our hope and our security is found in money and not really in Jesus Christ. I'll always remember Francis Chan if you don't know who he is, he's, he's, he used to pastor a large church in, in uh, Simi Valley, California. He wrecked my life back in about 2006 or seven. He wrote a book called Crazy Love, and pfft, it's, been, it's been different ever since. Trying to think about what my life is compared to God's perspective. And he looked at his elders one day, and he talked about how he had been really relying upon all of his finances And he had felt that God had called him to give his entire retirement account, if I remember correctly, to the ministry, rather than actually using it for retirement. And they looked at each other and they said, if that's what you feel you got to do, okay. And he says, "I've I've got your kids. And they looked at each other and said, we've got each other. That's what the church is supposed to look like. We have each other. If everything goes south, we have each other. Now, I think he ended up, he has some stash aside, and the Bible doesn't say we shouldn't save, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But what if God did say, hey, that vacation you were saving up for, there's a family that needs Christmas this year. I don't know if God's going to do that for you or not, but again, what do we treasure? What do we treasure? Because where your treasure is, Jesus says, that's where your heart is. We'll come back to that in a minute. Let's read the rest of this passage. Matthew 6, 22 to 24. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So this idea that the eye is the lamp of the body... The eye is what allows light into the body. It's what comes into us. It's the window that lets light in. So the question I thought of as soon as I thought about what Jesus was saying there is, what kind of light is being led into your life? What are you letting into your life? As you see things, how do you see them and process them? Consider what Jesus says here. If your eye is healthy, then the light of Christ will be how you process what is coming into your life. 
If your eye is bad, your whole life will be full of darkness and how you process what comes into your life will be full of darkness and apart from God. There is more here though. Because the words behind the eye being healthy or bad, the Greek words here actually are talking about how generous or how stingy you are. The specific meaning here is the generous eye or the stingy eye, even going to the evil eye. For those of you that have been on YouTube, the bombastic side eye. Some of you know what I'm talking about. My daughter just laughed. That was for her. <laughs> or she's embarrassed. One of the two. Proverbs 8, 28, 22 says this, a stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. Proverbs 23, 6 says this, Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies. Do we have a generous eye? Or do we have a stingy eye? And when it comes to being generous, stop calling yourself frugal. Frugal, sure. Simplify your life. But be generous with what God has given you. In whatever form that takes. Because Jesus takes it a step further. Not only do you live for one, you can only love one. He says you can't serve two masters. You're either generous or you are stingy or evil with what you have. If you're devoted to making money and only making money, if you're all about what you want and what you want for your future, if it's all about everything for you, you can only serve money. You can only serve money. You can only serve your possessions. You can only serve what you want to keep. Think about it. it. What you are focusing on hanging on to is what you are focusing on. It's all you can focus on. Because if you're worried about losing it, that's all you think about. King Solomon knew about this too. He talks about money in the book of Ecclesiastes. I want to read you a passage from the New Living Translation. Ecclesiastes 5, 10 to 12, it's on the screen. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth? Except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers. People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much. But the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. Man, see, Solomon had it all. I mean, he was, he literally had everything. I mean, if you look at, if you've seen any videos about people that are super rich and they buy whatever they want, they have whatever they want, they do whatever they want. This was Solomon, but Solomon had that like times a hundred, maybe a thousand. I mean, he was the richest man to ever, ever live. He had anything and any, I mean, and I'm, not, and I'm talking anything he ever wanted. When I say anything, I mean anything. And he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And he says that those who love money will never have a lot, have enough. Think about it. When you think about your salary and you go, maybe over the last 10 years and you've gotten a couple of raises, what did you think before you got your first raise? Man, if I only got a raise, it would be enough. And then about two or three years later, man, if I only got a raise, it would be enough. Two years later, man, if I only got a raise, it would be enough. It's always about more when it comes to this topic. We can make our lives all about money, and so many people do. We make life about what we can obtain, what we can amass, how much we make, how much we can save. Those lottery winners, 
They should have been set for life, most of us think. But they got caught up in everything they couldn't have and didn't have and got everything they wanted and they, and they blew it on everything. It ruined relationships. If we had time this morning, we could go to Ecclesiastes chapter 6 and see the same thing, that relationships were, relationships were continually ruined. And King Solomon saw that happen. I mean, think about it. It's so easy to ruin the relationships, relationships around you when your relationship to your money and your stuff is disordered. If all you're doing is living for your money and stuff, you're not going to be focusing on any relationships around you. How many people are workaholics only to be able to retire someday and in the meantime they lost their spouse, they lost their kids in the process because they were gone all the time? It's not just about work though, it can be about the hobbies we have that take us away from the things that are most important. I do want to make it clear, however, though, that Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't save some money for the future. He's not saying you can't have nice things. He's not saying that having resources is evil. Otherwise, uh, he would be contradicting other parts of Scripture. In Proverbs chapter 6, saving is encouraged when we look at the the way an ant saves in Proverbs chapter 6. We're told to provide for our own. Paul tells Timothy that in 1 Timothy 5, that we should provide for our own families. And all throughout Scripture, God's a good father. He wants us, he's given us these things to enjoy too. It's not like we're supposed to go around like a monk all the time and just, you know, have itchy clothes and and always hate life. God wants us to enjoy the good things that he's given us. He does. He's a good father. But here's the difference. We live for God, not our stuff. Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, and he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. That's wanting other people's stuff. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus knew that this would be something we'd struggle with. Because we'd want to be better than the person next to us. We want to have what the person next to us has. We'd want to make more money. We'd want to have more amass, amass, amass. And it becomes all about us when God says, live for others. And what we need to understand this morning is what you treasure is what you are living for. What you treasure is what you are living for. So what are you living for? Psalm 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Or is this your Psalm 23? The Lord is my banker, my credit is good. He giveth me the key to his strong box. He restoreth my faith in riches. 
He guideth me in the paths of prosperity for my name's sake. Which Psalm 23 are you living for? What takes your thoughts? Because having more does not mean that this issue will be settled in your life. In fact, having more probably means it will become more of an issue in your life. You can serve either God or money, stuff, what you want. You cannot serve them both. Can't be done. It's an illustration from a, um, from a commentator. The story is told as the actual truth, which perfectly illustrates what we're talking about. The story of a farmer who one day went happily and with great joy in his heart to report to his wife and his family that their best cow had given birth to twin calves, one red, one white. And he said, you know, I have suddenly had a feeling and impulse that we must dedicate one of these calves to the Lord. We will bring them up together. And when the time comes, we will sell one and keep the proceeds. And we will sell the other and give the proceeds to the Lord's work. His wife asked him which he was going to dedicate to the Lord. There's no need to bother about that now, he replied. We will treat them both in the same way, and when the time comes, we will do as I say. So off he went. In a few months, the man entered his kitchen looking very miserable and unhappy. When his wife had asked him what was troubling him, he answered, I have bad news to give you. The Lord's calf is dead. But... She said, you, you, you hadn't decided which was to be the Lord's calf. Oh, yes, he said. I had always decided it was to be the white one, and it is the white one that has died. The Lord's calf is dead. We can chuckle at that story, but God forbid that we should be laughing at ourselves because it's always the Lord's calf that dies. It's always the Lord's calf that dies. When money becomes difficult, the first thing we economize on is what we give to God. And there's some great questions from Kent Hughes, another commentator. He says a few things. What occupies our thoughts when we have nothing else to do? What occupies our daydreams? Is it our investments, our position? If so, those things are what we treasure. And that's where our hearts really are. Similarly, what is it that we fret about the most, that we're most worried about? Is it our home or perhaps our clothing? If so, we know where our treasure lies. Apart from loved ones, what or whom do we most dread losing? What are the things that we measure other people by? Do we measure others by their clothing, by their education, by their homes, by their athletic prowess? Do we measure others by their success in the business world? If we know, we know where, or if we do, we know where our treasure lies. Lastly, what is it that we know that we cannot be happy without? That's how we find out where our treasure lies. The things that we own need to be used for the kingdom, not for building our own kingdom. Otherwise, we'll become like the Assyrians in 2 Corinthians, or sorry, 2 Kings 17.41. So these nations feared the Lord and also served their carved images. Their children did likewise, and their children's children, as their fathers did, so they do to this day. What a sad statement that they feared the Lord, but they still, they still worshipped their carved images. They still worshipped things apart from God. 
and their children did the same thing. And they've been that way ever since. What are we teaching those around us about what we value? Do you serve God first or is he only the consideration of all of your wants, your desires, your money, your career, your house, your car, your family, your relationships, your children, you fill in the blank, are where you want them to be? Unless you'd be sitting here this morning and saying, I don't really have any money, so this message doesn't apply to me. It's, remember, it's not just about money. I spent almost, I must spend about 18 years in youth ministry. And it was amazing to hear continually parents say, there's no way I would let my kids go to the mission field. It's too dangerous. There's no way they're going on a missions trip because you can't guarantee my child's safety. I get fear. But the minute we make our kids our idol, they are in place of God. I'll tell you, it would be absolutely difficult. But if God wants to take my girls and move them halfway across the world, if they're living for him, may the lamb receive the joy of his suffering. I'm not saying it'd be easy. And I might even fight God on it. But what are we treasuring? I want to talk to you about the Moravian Church. It's a church, a movement in the 1700s in Germany. The Spirit fell so strongly that they had prayer for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Are you ready for it? For a hundred years. A hundred years. John Wesley is credited as coming out of that movement, coming to Christ because of that movement. Our modern-day missions work is credited out of coming out of the Moravian movement in the 1700s. Johann Dober was the first Moravian missionary. He departed for the West Indies on August 21st, 1732. He left everyone and everything he knew behind in order to take the gospel to a foreign land where he had to learn a new language, form new relationships, and find a way to support himself. The furtherance of the kingdom became the theme for their Moravian church. This is crazy. They constantly sent missionaries to areas plagued by poverty and spiritual darkness. Men and women sold themselves into slavery in order to share the gospel with slaves. Others died on the mission field, whether due to sickness, hunger, or elements. The Moravians labored for the gospel in 10 countries over the first 28 years. And during the height of their missionary movement, one in every 12 Moravians was serving overseas. When the missionaries would leave, as they stood on the ship departing the wharf, looking for what they believed to be the last time that they would see the faces of their loved ones in their life, They raised their fists and cried, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And that's it. They were deeply in love with the slain lamb, cherished the love that he showed on the cross, thunderously affirmed his infinite worth, and passionately desired that he would have what he deserved, the reward of his suffering. What did they treasure? What did they treasure? 
Do you desire to serve and sacrifice for what God calls you to and as you serve him first or do you serve your purposes and desires and needs first? I'm not saying all of us should hop on a ship and go somewhere, but maybe. I don't know what God's call is on your life. But the question this morning is, what do you treasure? Because what you treasure is what you're living for. What you treasure is what you are living for. What do you live for today? Are you open to let go what you're hanging on to if God were to ask you to give it to him? You may not be ready today. There's days I'm not ready for that too. Don't get me wrong. Man, don't lay up treasures for yourself on this earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your heart today? I want to challenge you this morning that if God has laid something on your heart that you need to lay down before him, then I want, you, I want to encourage you to lay it down this morning. Is it your 401k? Is it your kids? Is it your family? Is it, is it uh, your career? Is it you know, the ne- next raise, the next job, your house, your hobbies, your devices? What is it? I'd say that a lot of us in here God always does this to me too. It's those times where I do this study and I go, really God, you had to touch that one? Yeah. Most of us in the room know exactly what God is putting his finger on. (laughs) And some of us are like, pastor, shut up. I want to get out of here. We have to go back and understand though, that when we hear messages like this, why would God want that thing? Why would God want you to say, I got to lay that down? Because he'll take care of it better than you can. And because he loves you more than you ever know, you will ever know. And if he's calling you to lay something down, he's calling you to something better. Wait, better than a, a, a stress for your retirement? Absolutely. Better than having my kids near me all the time? I know that can be hard to see, but yes. I am so thankful for in laws that did not fight, even though they had their own fight with God. My in laws are going to hear this this morning. They had their own fight with God 20 years ago when a guy from California took his daughter to Michigan. And now we've been here for 20 years. But I believe I can speak for them in what they've been able to see God do. And it's to his glory, not ours. But if they, they, they're, they're good with that. And I'm thankful because they could have said often, well, you moved her to Michigan and you know, those little quips every once in a while and they never did it. 
And in the moments when I didn't believe in what God was doing, you know what they did? They believed in us too. They treasured Jesus even more than saying, having us come back. And they told me many times, you got to stay. What do you treasure? Let it go. Give it to him. You won't regret it. If you want to come up and pray at the altar during this last song, as the worship team comes up, you can. We're just going to lift up our voice in song. We're going to declare how holy he is. May chains fall this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. Lord, I confess that even speaking a message like this, I was I don't know, just kind of burdensome. Because this hits us where we live, God. And for many of us, I'm sure we're going, God, really, that thing. And you lovingly say, yes, that thing. And you look at us and we hear you say, just trust me. God, I pray that chains would fall today. I pray that freedom would reign in this room. And that God, we would lay up our treasures in heaven. And those earthly things that we've hung on to, Lord, I pray we'd lay them down so we can have more of you. Thank you for loving us the way you do. God, may we treasure you more.